don't let anything hold you back. You got a future ahead of you. You got people that love you, people that support you. So just keep doing what you're doing. Welcome to the Telling It Our Way podcast. I'm Allie. And I'm Becca. In this podcast, we bring you stories by disabled people about disabled people. Stories from the daily lives of self-advocates with intellectual and developmental disabilities. These are real people with complicated lives. They don't want your pity and they don't exist to inspire you. This is not inspiration porn. So Becca, today we're talking about families. That's a pretty big category. (laughs) So how do we even begin to narrow this down? You know, I think we don't, right? Right? There are lots of kinds of families and lots of kinds of family arrangements. You know, we could mean people you're biologically related to or foster or adoptive families, roommates, close friends. And so today we really wanted to tell stories about all kinds of families. And, you know, no matter the type, families have taken up a lot of space in both research and kind of the public understanding of people with intellectual disabilities. You know, often that research kind of perpetuates some stereotypes about this is how difficult it is to have a family member with an intellectual disability. You know, those kind of fear. We're a parent forever. We're forever going to be parenting this adult. A lot of fear-based. Yeah. And often what we find is that parents or sibling narratives take the place of people with intellectual disabilities sharing their own stories. And you know that's not what we're about here. That's not (laughs) what we're about. No, absolutely not. And I think it's really important to remind our listeners that all of the contributors to this podcast have written their own scripts and uh, from their perspective. Right. And so we're flipping that script and having people with intellectual disabilities talk about their families rather than that kind of traditional narrative of having families talk about their family member with an intellectual disability. So I'm really excited, Becca, to bring you this next story from Jordan and Courtney, who are twins, and they grew up in Texas. I first met Jordan as a student in my Intro to Disability Studies class and gradually learned of his twin relationship as the semester unfolded and he continued to sort of tell anecdotes of growing up with Courtney. And it wasn't until recording this story, though, that I got to meet Courtney in person, who is actually really larger than life. She she didn't disappoint me at all. She is really funny. And the way what we can't capture on the podcast, unfortunately, is all of the unspoken ways that she's communicating with Jordan as he keeps yakking and yakking and yakking away. But we do get a lot more uh, of her perspective in the following story. Oh, I can't wait. So we're twins, but I feel like our relationship has, it's been shaped by three defining moments that were, that the only way to really describe them is uh, three big times we were separated. I remember being woken up for the first day of kindergarten, and I remember my mom telling me as she woke me up, she said, hey, good morning. Uh, Just so you know, Courtney's not going to school with you today. And that was it she was being held back she was being held back a year and then that was it like that was just our reality and do you remember do you remember anything about that day no I do not (laughs) that's nuts the second time we were separated was um whenever I graduated high school because at this point like like I said we were we were one year apart so I was finishing school one year before her and when I finished school 
I got out of Dodge. I was like, I got to get out of here. Um, and I wanted to head for the big city. I wanted to go to Austin. Just like that separation. But do you remember anything about that? Like about me leaving whenever we were 18 years old? Oh, yes. It was very hard for me because I was getting separated from someone I was very close to. And I was going to be left alone with my parents because they were going through that rough patch. Yeah, our when Court was a senior in high school, um, that's whenever my parents had decided that they were going to get a divorce. <laughs> it was a super long time coming. It wasn't like we saw the writing on the wall forever. It wasn't anything new. Um, but Court had to face that alone. Um, that was something that like the support that we found in each other for years, like whether it was just being stupid, playing with toys or, you know, having our own languages when we were, you know, little tots. I feel like we always had each other to lean on and I very abruptly, I, uh, I left. Do you remember the third time that we got separated? That was when we were at your new apartment. Mm -hmm. This was my apartment that I lived in after my house got burgled. It was such a cool apartment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had crazy amenities. But at this point, like, if we're jumping in the story, we're going from five years to 18 years to probably probably in our late 20s whenever this happened. This was a really big deal for us because we were, we were at a point in our life where we, like, Courtney and I sat down and we were like, it's time, man. Like, you know, it's time for us to start... Uh, prioritizing your independence like it's it's crazy like let's start let's start doing what we can to get you a job get you a car get you an apartment like let's let's just let's just start we kind of hyped each other up and we had this like this stepbrothers moment where we were like yeah like, let's do it yep we were so excited and i remember it was during a visit because Courtney was you know obviously my family doesn't live up here my family lives in texas so this was during a visit where my mom and Courtney came up to visit me, but it turned into us having like these really deep conversations. And one of these conversations, we decided that it's time. Like we need to talk with mom about Courtney, like taking that next step and what we need to do to accommodate her and make these things happen. And um, we sat her down. Courtney, do you know what happened next? She was not that happy about it. She was upset. Because this really big decision was made without her. And uh, and it was a lot to take in for her. It was a lot. And there was no follow-up discussion. There was no uh, real getting into the weeds about it. Uh, we just tried to put that fire out. So Courtney was like, well, I'm going back with you. Like, I'm sorry. Like, uh, I changed my mind. I'll go back with you. I kind of felt like at that moment where I felt a little defeated in a way. Sure. Oh yeah. Oh, we were we were hyped. Like we were we were thinking about <laughs> it just it was this the type of ex excitement it was it like paralleled the excitement that we got from like building forts with our bunk beds. We're like, "Oh, we that's awesome. Like that this is fantastic." Now that I'm older, I'm trying really hard to empathize with my mom. Um trying really hard to understand what she was feeling and I think you know and I, and I feel like now if, if more conversations more communication there's so many things that could have made that that could have made that moment so much better 
but I feel like so much of our relationship has been reacting to this separation that happens to us and how we react. And that was one where the way that we reacted was we didn't talk about it. So we just kind of continued on with our lives. I lived up here. Courtney and my mom went back to Texas. Kind of like one of those numb moments in a way. Absolutely. You know, the things that we prioritized and the things that we talked about, the things that we got hyped about, they're a reality now. Uh, like, And it is just as exciting as we thought it would be. You know, the things that uh, whenever we got really hyped up about, yeah, man, we're going to get you a car. We're going to get you an apartment. We're going to get you a job. Like, we did those things. Like, you did those things. Well, what, what I remember is uh, I stayed with my mom for a little bit for a while. And then I got on the, I got on the phone with Jordan and he was telling me all these... He was telling me all these things that he could help that he could help me with and like get a job, get a car. I'm I was I was all on board for it. I went ahead and I I packed my clothes, I packed my bags. And mom was coming up with us too. So that way she could she could spend some time with us and see you off. I lived with Jordan for a while. Um I was looking for I was looking for an apartment that that I can afford right now. I wanted to wait and build up my account first before I could even consider getting an apartment. And I am very, I'm just over, over the moon that my brother and Katie took me in. Like now we complain about bills. Now we (laughs) complain about, you know, benefits and hospital bills. And I don't know, like, it's amazing. We can, we can just sit down and watch TV shows together and it can feel like we're 12 years old on a farm in Texas again. We always, we always found ways to, to make our own fun. I mean, I really want to bring this up because this is a very funny, heartfelt moment <laughs> because Home Alone, it was our thing. When our house was being built... I remember the raptors on the side of the house and they would have those bricks. So we would assemble these bricks to look like figures of Marv and Harry. (laughs) And then we would take those bricks and we would just hurl them at them. (laughs) Saying the quotes along with it. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely found ways to have fun. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's like I tell people that my cup is full. Our new reality is something that we always talked about. And I tell you, I know we love our comfort zones, but sometimes, sometimes we just got to get out of the boat to figure out what all new stuff is out there. I mean, don't let anything hold you back. You got a future ahead of you. You got people that love you, people that support you. So just keep doing what you're doing. So I think it's really great 
that Jordan and Courtney were able to tell their story together and to tell the story of how Courtney moved up from Texas in order to develop her own independence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I really like this narrative because I think there's often this assumption that people with intellectual disabilities live with their parents forever, right? But there's lots of different kinds of arrangements. And so as usual, I, I went to my statistics and I looked at the Residential Information Systems Projects, which tracks the living arrangements for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities who receive long-term support services. And so what they found was 60% of people who they surveyed live in their family home, but they don't specify what that means, right? That could mean living with a parent, it could mean living with a sibling, um, it could mean living with an aunt or a grandparent or, or, or what have or you. Or nieces and nephews, right? Living with nieces and nephews. Right. There's lots of different things that family home means. Um, and then another 5% are living with a foster or a host family. You know, these are big numbers, right? So that's 65% of, of people total. And I think because of this kind of high rate of, of people living with their families, there's an assumption that people with intellectual disabilities need to live with their families in order to have a quality of life. And there's also an assumption, I think, that everyone has a relationship with their family. And neither of these things are true. You know, in fact, not so long ago, it was common for people with intellectual disabilities to be sent to institutions away from their families. And sometimes, you know, they didn't know their siblings at all or would only see their parents, you know, once a year or something like this. And so this kind of assumption that people with intellectual disabilities must be with their parent all the time, all through their life, is a relatively new one and a really incorrect one. Yeah, and I think we have examples of famous families that have had that quote-unquote hidden figure, uh, the, the Kennedy sibling, Rosemary, uh, who was sent to live in an institution. And now the Kennedys have, as a family, have created various kinds of enterprises to support people with intellectual disabilities. But we also have the British royal family, who the recently deceased queen, she had a cousin, or two cousins, I think, I believe, who had intellectual disabilities that were living in isolated conditions. So it makes sense that that's, you know, so what we're talking about is within two generations, we were still, it was still the practice to send people with intellectual disabilities away. And, you know, sometimes we like to demonize that as a culture to look back on that and say, if you had an intellectual disability and you were sent away, you know, your parents and your family were awful people. But a lot of the time, what was happening was that doctors and medical professionals and educators were telling the family that this is their only option. Mm -hmm. And so that's how folks ended up in these isolated conditions until we had you know, the disability justice movement in the 1970s that started closing institutions. Families play an important role in a lot of people's lives. But the second story that I want to share today is about a different kind of family. Paul is going to tell us about how he developed a close relationship with the founder of his day program, so close that he is now calling him dad. So let's listen. I call this story from humble beginnings. I started life like any normal kid, except I wasn't really normal. Normal doesn't mean anything. It's a setting on a dishwasher. Growing up, I had brothers who made me feel weird sometimes. I wasn't a leader back then. I was a follower. Things weren't always good for me. 
but I don't want to get into all those bad things. Me and my mom, we've always seen eye to eye. She is my mom, and I'm her little white knight. She had a special song she sang to me. It was called Starlight Melody. I loved it. Without her, I don't think I'd be anywhere. It put me to bed at night. That's why I love her so much. But my father, I don't have to like what he did, but I don't hate him. Even though all those things happened to me, it was just the stepping stone, something greater. And now I think my life is better. In 2009, I first started going to a new day program that was in an art studio. It is a place for people with developmental disabilities. I didn't know anybody. I would always take my stuff into the computer room, listen to my music, and be by myself. And then something happened. It was my birthday. One of the workers came in and said, Paul, do you have some time to spend with me today? I said, yes. He told me that David, the man who founded the studio, had given her his credit card. He said, he told me to take you to get your hair cut, get some new shoes, get some new clothes, and then bring you to the bowling alley because he has a surprise for you. It was so awesome. When I walked into the bowling alley, everyone was there. Everyone from the studio. That's a pretty big, like, lot of people. (laughs) They were there, and they were celebrating. I was like, am I in the right place? But I see the cake, and it says, Happy Birthday, Paul. I was completely blown away. I felt special in ways I cannot describe. I felt like I had a family. Sometime later, David called me into his office. He said, Did you have a good birthday? I said, Yes, and thank you for everything you've done. He said, You're welcome, kiddo. I said, I don't want to be out of the blue with this, but can I call you dad? He said, that would make my day. From then on, I was calling him my father. Took me on a trip to Florida, and that was so much fun. It was a whole bunch of us from the studio. We went to Cocoa Beach. I did karate on the water. We went to Epcot and Disney World. It was so much fun. I got drunk. (laughs) I wouldn't be anywhere without David. If I didn't have him in my life and my mother, I think it would be dark. I think it would be bleak. He... No, they both give me a sense of purpose. A sense of belonging. They make me feel like I have someone to look up to. I mean, 
David is a mentor, but not just a mentor, someone I can call my father. On February 14, 2023, I changed my last name to David, letting go of my father's last name meant letting go of a dark cloud it was poisoning my life now that I have the same last name as David I feel like things have really shaped up I no longer feel too stressed to live life I no longer feel a downward spiral I feel like a legacy keeper for David I help out at the studio to keep his legacy going I would like to be staffed there someday. So, in terms of family, my studio family and my mom's side of the family are all I need. Everyone has a family, but not everybody realizes what family truly is. Family is more than just people. Family is having pride in the people you know. Loving them, sharing moments, and showing them they made you who you are and you've done the same for them. Like a phoenix, from the ashes, you rise into something greater because you have people you care for and people who care for you. It is so lovely to hear Paul's story. And what's interesting to me is that we often don't think of grown adults as looking for parental figures, Mm. right? You kind of think, well, you're over 18, you've either had it or you haven't had it, but either way, we're past that stage. And what Paul's story reminds us of is that we're never past that stage. I mean, we all need mentors in our lives. We all need people to look up to our entire lives. It just feels really special the way that that Paul describes how he found this person who he now considers his father. And I think it's also a testament to, you know, families, biological families, or the family that you grew up with in your home, whether that's a foster or adoptive family, those families are really important. But assuming that families are the only important connection in the lives of all people with intellectual disabilities, you know, it can actually perpetuate some isolation and exclusion. If you think, well, that person, they have the network that they need. They have the family that they need. And so I don't need to be part of that network. But instead, you know, there are lots of ways that we forge kinship with each other. There are lots of ways we forge connection with each other. And as we'll talk about next episode, community is really important too. I can't wait to dig into other ways that we're building community outside of our families. Yeah. Before we end, I want to thank our contributors, Jordan, Courtney, and Paul, our associate producer, Connor Smenner, and our Telling It Our Way advisory board members, Dorita Fox, Quinn Thomas, and Gavin Daly. And special thanks to WGTE and our producer, Chris Pfeiffer. To access transcripts for this show and any other show notes, please visit us at wgte.org slash our way. I'm Allie Day. And I'm Becca Monsalione. And you've been listening to Telling It Our Way. WGTE. Voices around us.
WGTE is supported in part by American Rescue Plan Act funds allocated by the City of Toledo and the Lucas County Commissioners and administered by the Arts Commission.